welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. This month, the month of February, we have decided to do sequels. Now, last month, Todd said that uh, the sequels that we wanted to do should be sequels that uh, in some way you know, uh, break the mold or, or go out there. This week's movie was my choice and Mm. I chose house two. And I don't know if it necessarily really meets Todd's requirement. Oh, it totally does. It totally does. Totally. Okay. All right. My justification is that really the movie is, is only a sequel in title. It really, aside from, also being about a quote-unquote haunted house. (laughs) It really doesn't have anything to do with the first movie. There is indeed a Um, house in this film. (laughs) There is. A really big, cool one. I really like it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it doesn't... I mean, there's no mention of the characters from the previous movie or anything like that. In fact, in the States, I think that there were four house movies and none of them had anything to do with the others. Yeah. You know, they were all really kind of standalone. And I, I think that just capitalizing on the, apparently the first one was more successful than I realized. <laughs> apparently yeah. the first one was successful enough um, that people did want to capitalize on the name. And I guess in Italy, there were like six uh, or more house movies. Which were kind of rebranded. I think they were like movies that maybe came out under alternate titles, but in Italy then they just called them house. Again, yeah. like you said, to take off of the the apparent success of house. <laughs> maybe house right. was big in Italy. Maybe the first one was huge. <laughs> <laughs> well, I liked the first one. You know, it's it's just kind of a fun, campy movie. It is. And, and I, I told Todd before we started recording that I was a little bit nervous to talk about this one because I remember mm. as a kid loving this movie. And, and I, I think they must have played it on HBO or, or maybe even on just standard network cable. Uh, but I remember it playing a lot uh, and I watched it a lot. But I, it, it had been a long time since I had seen it. And I sat down to watch it yesterday and I was watching it, and I'm like, oh, man, this is really hokey. <laughs> that being said, that being said, I still really like it. But those of you, all three of you who listen, who may be, uh, you know, kind of hardcore horror fans, it's almost a stretch to call this a horror movie. Uh, it's, it's, it's really more of a comedy as I was watching it, as hokey as it is, I think that I remember that the reason that I liked it is because it's actually a really kind of sweet movie. <laughs> it's it's kind of cute and sweet. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I like it. You're right. No, this, this movie really... Oh, okay, so I also have fond memories of this movie. <laughs> Because I didn't watch it on TV, and I've only seen this movie once before, and this would have been like in 1988 or 1989, like seriously, uh-huh. like like after it came out on video. But you know, my dad, unlike your dad, my dad has never been a big horror movie fan, and when we would go to the video store, occasionally he would indulge me, and he'd be like, "Okay, we'll pick out a horror movie, and I'll watch it with you." And it, he usually had to find something that he could agree with, you know. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. And and that also he would deem wouldn't be too gross or gory or explicit for me. And he picked this movie and we watched it together. And so like I really remember watching this movie with my dad and both of us really enjoying it, like being pleasantly surprised. And this would be, without a doubt, the first quote unquote horror comedy I ever saw. So this was the first time that it ever occurred to me that you could mix these two genres, you know, that you could have a movie mm-hmm. that's alternately scary and funny at the same time. Now, looking at this as an adult, to call this movie scary is a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Um, but it really has the same flavor and same feel as some other movies that we've talked about here before, mm-hmm. such as The Gate, uh, Goonies, yep. uh, Monster Squad. It seems like the movie that's written more with a family in mind than the hardcore teenage horror audience. In fact, this movie's PG-13, and I don't even know why it's not PG. Yeah, I I think it's because, if I remember correctly, they throw in a few F-bombs, and that's the only, maybe, or or maybe even not, I don't remember, but it, it, you're right, it, it does seem in the same vein as those movies, so therefore it's no surprise to me that i liked it so much because i love those movies yeah. you know those the, the ones that you mentioned are some of my favorite movies uh and and as i was watching this i was thinking wow this really would be a great movie if you were a parent or an uncle or or whatever who wanted to introduce your kid or, your, or you know a young person if you wanted to introduce them kind of to the genre but was something that was not really that scary, then this would be a good one to go. Now, I I will say that, you know, I was thinking about, oh, I would love to watch this with my niece and nephew, and and my sister is very protective and would never let me, I'm sure, but but, uh, as I was thinking that, I was like, oh, it's fun, and there's a lot of fun things that they would enjoy. Now, I I will say that the end, like the big bad guy at the end, is kind of scary. I can imagine children being scared of it, but... Adults, you know, it's it's really not uh, all that frightening, but it's fun. There's there's cute stuff going on, and it's I I don't know, you know, people who didn't grow up in the '80s probably would not be particularly impressed with this cast. Um, (laughs) But uh, but but for those of us who grew up in the '80s, these people, the people who are in this movie, are all pretty recognizable. Um, The movie uh, starts out with. Just, you know, the title sequence. I really like the music in this movie. I I think that the music is fun and interesting. And so, you know, it opens up with this kind of cool music. And you see this crystal skull. And then there are the titles. And then you see this big, awesome house. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's almost like a castle. It's like this stone house with, like, you know, towers. Um and then the interior of the house are cool set pieces too. It, it's it's kind of, I don't know. It's like Aztec slash Gothic. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> but like it's this it's this cool old mansion. But there are all of these like walls and stone pillars that have all of these like uh, I don't know Native American symbols or. I'm sure. I'm sure they're not really Native American, but it's supposed to be Aztec, I think. And and the interior of it is so goofy. I mean, 
there is no house that would ever be built like this. It, it's no. It's so over the top. It's like a giant movie set is exactly what it is. It, it, it doesn't. <laughs> the inside doesn't even match the outside, which is fine because no. you hardly even like see the outside. But <laughs> right. it's like if somebody took like an Aztec pyramid. I don't mean it's like if somebody took a house and added an Aztec motif to it. No. It's like if somebody <laughs> took an Aztec pyramid and tried to fashion a house out of it. That's what this thing is. <laughs> Some, uh, Aztec temple on the inside with like the staircase has these stone pillars on it and a big like dragon or, or mouths. Oh, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Well, and, and you're right. You know, as, as big and cool as the exterior of the house looks – when you get inside, it's like it's like sound stages. Like they're these huge, yeah. like, especially like the foyer or the living area when you first go in. Like it's this huge set piece, yeah, <laughs> um, with this with this huge stone uh, fireplace with like a, a shrine. <laughs> on it. But what's so funny and what makes it even more ridiculous is that hardly anybody seems to notice or care. Like, yeah, like, like at first, of course, they come in and they stare around the house like, whoa, what a nice big house. Right. But like, uh, like after that, nobody really comes in and remarks, my God, what is this monstrosity that we've come right. upon? It's just like, oh, so this is where you live. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, when when the main characters eventually move in, it's this young couple uh, Jesse and Kate, and I'll, I'll talk about the actors who play them in a second. But yeah, when they first arrive, they're like, "Oh, look, this is the new house we live in." And then at some point, Kate gets on the phone with like her manager or something, and she's like, "Yeah, it's kind of a dump, but Jesse would never notice that." Like, <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, it's a huge mansion. Like, oh yeah, it's kind of a dump. Like, <laughs> <Okay>. Seriously, <laughs> I love this. Uh, I love this part where they first come in because as she's on the phone with her manager, at the same time, Jesse just pulls a random book off the shelf, sits down, and then just starts talking to himself. I don't believe it. Well, they really need someone. That's my mom and dad. That was pretty cute. That was my grandfather. So he must have been my great, great grandfather. Jesse McLaughlin, they named me after him. <laughs> yeah, he talks to himself quite a bit. And we also get, like, sometimes, if I remember correctly, we get his inner monologue without him even talking. Yeah. Like, you just hear, like, voiceover. <laughs> it's so lazy. <laughs> it's such lazy writing. It's terrible. It is. Oh, the writing is bad. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but before we meet these people, the opening scene is uh, this this young couple who has a baby they're in the house and like it seems like they're scared and somebody is coming and so they meet somebody outside and they hand over their baby to another couple and then they go back inside and somebody <laughs> like it, it, they're they're trying to kind of establish the mystery so some mysterious shadowy figure shows up and says i want the skull and the the guy clarence uh and is like oh we don't have it and then this mysterious figure shoots clarence and then he eventually kills uh the wife too it's like this ghostly cowboy um <laughs> 
and then uh, we get a black screen, and it says 25 years later, and that's when Jesse and Kate arrive, and Jesse is the the baby from the first scene, and wherever he was, wherever he's lived his life, he's now uh, inherited uh, this mansion from his parents who died 25 years ago. I don't really <laughs> understand how that works out. <laughs> but okay. We'll just go with it. Yeah, and Jesse is played uh, by, I, I don't know how to pronounce his first name, it's A-R-Y-E, Ari Gross, I guess, yeah. um, and it's not like he was a big star in the 80s and 90s or anything, but he, he's really recognizable, he's this short little guy, and what I remember him from was he was kind of the second lead on Ellen DeGeneres' sitcom, uh, when mm. she had a sitcom back then, and his girlfriend, I guess, is Kate, played by Lar Park Lincoln, who is probably most known for Friday the 13th Part 7. But she, mm. again, is just another very recognizable face from the 80s. And it's <laughs> watching this movie again, it was funny to me. I had never really considered... Of course, when I was watching it before, I was a kid. Like We're talking like maybe 8 years old, 10 years old, that was the heyday of when I was watching this. Yeah. And so I wasn't really particularly concerned about writing. And it was funny in watching it again today that these secondary characters, like Kate, are in t- are totally inconsequential. Yes, like, <laughs> they could be gone from the movie and it would make no yeah. difference whatsoever. <laughs> right. And most of them, most of the secondary characters leave halfway through the movie <laughs> like <laughs> we, you're just like why were they there to begin with <laughs> and the funny thing is you don't even notice <laughs> no no you don't even notice <laughs> when they it was come so back, funny. Like, oh yeah i wondered what happened there. yeah so yeah so they've inherited this house and like you said he finds that photo album and it's got pictures of his ancestors and and whatnot and the comedy you know oh. comes in right away like uh, Jesse hears noises in the house and he goes and explores and it, it doesn't end up being anything. He just gets hit in the face with a fold-out ironing board. Like, it, it's silly it's really stuff silly. like that. And all the comedy is really silly in here. And it's peppered with laugh lines that are just... They're all groaners, you know? They're all yeah. Just, <laughs> I, I don't know. There's a, there's a certain charm to it. There is. No, 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 I no. think. I agree. There is a charm to it. At one point, I wrote down, this movie is so 80s comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost culled together from all of the other 80s comedies you've seen. That is, that is the atmosphere of this film. It's those kinds of jokes, that kind of humor, these kinds of situations. They're all recycled from all the movies surrounding it at this time. <laughs> Oh yeah, and and the characters too are are so very eighties. I mean, the the next thing that happens is um, two weirdos two people <laughs> two weirdos drop by right? <laughs> Charlie and Kate, and Charlie is played by Jonathan Stark, who. If you have listened to our podcast, we've mm. talked about before because he was in Fright Night. Yep. He was uh, the main villain's, like, henchman in Fright Night. He, again, a very recognizable face. You know, he, he's not a leading guy. You just kind of recognize him from things. But he was, he, 
really his career has been in writing. He wrote for Ellen's uh, sitcom. He wrote for Cheers and According to Jim and all kinds of other very successful television shows. I'll say I really enjoyed his performance in this. I mean, it was totally cheeseball. Like his character yeah. was total cheeseball, but I really enjoyed watching him. Yeah, he's funny. He's yeah. a funny guy. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that's the role he plays. I'm the funny guy. Oh, 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 oh. Funny, funny Charlie. I'm funny Charlie. I was making funny jokes. <laughs> And he he shows up with Lana, who's played by Amy Yazbek, uh, who was married to John Ritter and, you know, is an accomplished actress in her own right. She was in the Problem Child movies. Just, it's a smorgasbord of 80s. Like, these people are just (laughs) so recognizable uh, from, and none of them were huge stars. And and so maybe they were just recognizable to me because I had seen them in all these random things. And and eventually Bill Maher shows up, like... (laughs) (laughs) Bill Maher of all people. So of all people. And Bill Maher shows up later on basically playing Bill Maher. Yeah. Like, he just shows up as this cynical asshole. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and he's got a perm and it's amazing. He looks just the same. I mean, he's, yeah. he's, <laughs> except his perm's a little bigger, but it's a little yeah, longer. He looks yeah, the same. It's a little longer. Oh, man. And uh, so Lana is apparently a performer, and her stage name is Puce Glitz and the Avoiders. That's her band name. That's really funny, actually. Yeah, she dances. I guess I guess Charlie's plan, I don't even know. I don't this even, is so I, silly. I don't even know what Kate does, but somehow Kate is somehow tied to people who could maybe help Puce Glitz and the Avoiders. <laughs> get their big start or something yes. and that's why they're there i don't know oh my god charlie has this incredible plan where he they are up in the bedroom and then kate starts this nipply dance party where she just decides <laughs> to start jumping around and he plays a big boom box of i guess it's her music and he like looks toward the door to see if anybody's out there and then he cranks it up and then he jumps in bed like he's reading a magazine or something He's, yeah. he's like this bizarre way of trying to get a Kate's attention. And Kate's on the phone. She's like, wait a minute. What is that music I hear? And she runs into the room. Oh, hi, Kate. Hey, is it too loud? Oh, really? What, what, what is this you're playing? That's Puce Glitz and the Avoiders. Puce Glitz? Yeah, that's my stage name. This is you? Uh, yeah. And, uh... I'm her manager. Kate, <laughs> uh, okay, I feel compelled to tell you, we are weighing several offers from some big producers, but to drop names would be tacky. <laughs> but you don't have a contract yet. I mean, you haven't signed anything yet, have you? Oh, no. We don't believe in success. Yeah, we, we want to make a lot of money and be real famous, but, but no success. No, there's a very subtle difference, you know. John, I've got to get back to you. I think I may have found what we're looking for. <laughs> yeah, based on 15 seconds 15 of... seconds of really bland, not even pop remarkable music. pop music. <laughs> it's so silly. It is. It's uh, really silly. And it and has no hilarious. point. It, uh, actually, there's no point to it except to bring Bill Maher's character there to say some goofy stuff later on. Yeah. It, again, the secondary... Except for Charlie. Charlie's important. He's, he plays into the action. But all the rest of the people... Totally inconsequential, really, <laughs> in yeah. the end. Mm. I guess since he found this uh, photo album, Jesse's now interested in like researching things. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
but he like he's been in the basement talking to himself again (laughs) talking to himself having inner monologue and he's found like these scrapbooks and he tells charlie the story of uh his great great grandpa who was an adventurer like Again, confusing because like he was a wild old Wild West guy, but then yeah. I guess he was also like a worldwide adventurer. <laughs> it doesn't make sense at all. Who's an outlaw in the old West? Okay, buy that. Yeah, look at this skull he's holding. It's made completely out of raw crystal. And this guy in the background, this is Jesse's partner, Slim Reaser. Uh-uh. Now he and Jesse had a falling out over the skull and became bitter enemies. Swim died without ever getting the skull from Jesse. I don't even understand how he knows all this stuff. I mean, wasn't he just handed yeah. over to some other couple at some point? I, I guess he just inferred a lot from the pictures. <laughs> 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 and supposedly this skull was supposed to grant immortality to anybody who found it. So he says, well, he's talking to Charlie and he's like, well, he found this skull. Well, where is it now? Well... He's just buried up on the hill. Let's go dig him up. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically it. That's basically it. And the next shot is literally them digging him up. It's them neck deep in a grave <laughs> digging up Gramps. Well, but they, they open it up and they find the skull and that's great. But then uh, also Gramps is alive um, or undead. I I not really sure i <laughs> anyway he he looks uh he he looks like a corpse you know he's he's decomposed and gray and the tips of his fingers have worn away and apparently he doesn't know this and gramps makes the movie for he me he does um he's he's played by royal dano who again yeah. gosh we can't show you things you know <laughs> when we're just recording audio but if you saw this guy you would recognize him he was in uh something wicked this way comes he was the lightning rod salesman he was in one of the ghoulies sequels he's just this super recognizable old guy and he is so cute and charming so dang cool he's got a voice he just has a very distinct voice like you don't even need to see it there's nobody else like nobody before after has had a voice like this guy god damn you know i've been waiting over 70 years for some jackass to get the sense to come dig me up (laughs) thank you boy he's in heavy Makeup. This movie's not popular enough for there to be a lot of, you know, behind-the-scenes information out there. Um, but I wish there were, because I would love to know... One thing that I do know is that they wanted this guy so badly that they hired him, even though they couldn't get their insurance company to cover him because he had just recently undergone heart surgery. But they wanted him so bad they hired him anyway, and I understand why. But, you know, I'd be interested to know about, you know, how long it took this old guy to sit there and get into this makeup because it's it's heavy makeup, and it looks good. Even in that heavy makeup, he has so much character and humanity in his eyeballs. Yes. Like... like, He's just so, like endearing and and uh and and sweet and and he see and he's like an old grandpa like a sweet old cool grandpa he reminds me of my old country grandpa and it's just 
Oh, it's it's just the sweetest thing. But, you know, he comes out of the grave, and at first he's kind of wearing, like, this Aztec mask, so he's kind of scary, and, you know, you don't... I, if you haven't seen it before, you don't know if he's good or bad, but then when he takes the mask off, he's just kind of this kind-hearted old corpse, and they take him home, and then that's the other thing that is so silly but cute at the same time, that it's like, oh, well, nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's <laughs> Let's go home. And they take him home, and he he has his crystal skull, and he puts it on the mantle with this shrine that has obviously been missing the skull. And, like, the skull glows and stuff. And he says, this house is a temple. It don't know time or space. Um, but the forces of evil are always after this skull, so we have to take care of this skull. And then they take him down to the basement. That's where they're going to set him up. And he wants to... He's like, let's go out on the town. I've been, you know, in McCoffin for 70 years. They have to kind of not explain to him, but help him to realize that he is gross. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a cute moment. Like... He he's like, I'm supposed to be alive. It's not supposed to be like this. And like he gets sad and misty eyed and it's like it like is. it tugged at my heartstrings. Like yeah. <laughs> oh, it was man. really I know. <laughs> it was really sweet. But then of course Charlie's like sneakily gives him the keys to the car and they like go driving off and end up coming back drinking and staring at the stars and things. At this point I was like, This is so eighties comedy. Like, it is. It's so goofy. They just and go off and get drunk. It's hilarious. It doesn't even matter. Like, for example, then the next scene is him sitting in front of a television, and he's marveling at uh, the, the fact that tissues just keep coming and coming out of this tissue box. Like, it's this <laughs> amazing advanced technology, but he's just been apparently watching old movies. And then he jumps into a Ronald Reagan joke, so that, that way you know it's the 80s. And then, yeah. And then suddenly he says... These movies, books, and crap, they don't tell you how it really was. And I'm thinking, did he just spend the last hour reading a bunch of books and watching a bunch of movies about Westerns? Like, how does he even know to say this, right? Like, it didn't make any sense. And then he starts with this, like, kind of cute but really silly montage where he's they're sitting around drinking beer and they're listening to him, the wax poetic about robbing a stagecoach at one time, you know, and uh, it, it just yeah, it's it's so goofy. Like now, it, it is goofy, but, but it's, it's cute. adorable. It's so adorable. <laughs> <laughs> like this cute sentimental western music is playing in the back, and Jesse and Charlie are both just looking at him like it's just oh. the most fascinating thing they've ever heard in their life. Yeah. <laughs> like as cheesy as that sounds, honest to God, it is. I I, yeah. I have had. I don't still have both of them, but I have had older grandparents and there's just something charming about when they get into their stories about the olden days and oh my gosh, it's just so cute. And like yeah. you you get the sense that especially Jesse is charmed by this. Like his Kate his girlfriend is such she has nothing to do. She she has no opportunity to build character. There's no kind of establishment of their relationship. She just is she has about 5 minutes of screen time where she just kind of gets to be flighty and bitchy and that's it. Mm. Um but because of that, you kind of get the sense that Jesse is, you know, longing for 
something else. And, and you know that like these stories of Gramps' days, you know, are are romantic to him. Yeah. Um, and he's really into it. And he's reconnecting with the family that he didn't have, you know. And and it's it's that's the that's kind of what the movie's really trying to build here is that sense of uh, the orphan who meets his great-great-grandfather in a way that none of the rest of us could. And he's charming, and he's cute, and he's fun, right? So Yeah, yeah. and they Yeah, it is cool. And then it's just, oh, gee, look at the time. Well, we better wander on upstairs. And they walk upstairs, and in true 80s movie fashion, suddenly there is a full-blown house party going on. <laughs> yeah, a full costume party, right? They just happen to not notice downstairs. Oh, I forgot to tell you, I invited a few people over for Halloween, who apparently all showed up, just let themselves in the house and completely decked out the place and, you know, brought food and whatnot. And then this this party scene is funny. The only thing, before we get to the party, when Gramps is talking, I, I feel like it's important to mention that he tells the story of his nemesis, mm. Slim, Re- Slim Reezer. And it's very simple. that You know, they when Gramps found the skull, Slim wanted it, and, you know, they had a disagreement about that. And Gramps said, well, I shot the old scallywag. That was the end of that. But he doesn't really want to talk about it anymore. The reason that it's important is because... Slim shows up at the end as the bad guy. Also, at some point, John Mayer showed up. Or not? Is that his name? <laughs> <laughs> not John Mayer. <laughs> John Mayer's a singer. <laughs> that would be really weird if he showed up. Like what? <laughs> Bill Maher. Bill Maher. Bill Maher showed up. up. He shows Bill up. Bill Maher par- showed up. Did he show up at the party? He showed up. At- no. He showed up a little bit before. Oh, it doesn't really matter. And right. again, his character is pretty inconsequential too. Except it's apparent that he is interested in Kate, and then throughout his time there, he's constantly trying to sabotage Jesse and make Kate not like Jesse. And eventually, it works, and then they leave. And like that's yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's that's the whole purpose of their characters. That's so true. Oh. But this 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 party, it's funny. It's this huge party, and Gramps, uh, you know, comes to the party because it's a costume party. And he nobody, blends right you in. Know, questions who he is, and Gramps is dancing with some young girl, and it's it's super cute. And then there's this totally kind of inconsequential, lame plot point where one of Jesse's ex girlfriends, Rochelle. Shows up and it's like kind of all over him for no apparent reason. Immediately just rubbing all over him and stuff like that. And he hardly even seems to care. Yeah. Well, he doesn't even notice, really. But Bill Maher sees and then Bill Maher tells. Uh, Jesse's girlfriend Kate, and then eventually she comes and slaps him. It's it's all very stupid and inconsequential. Really, the point of the party is that while the party is going on, and fortunately it's a costume party, so anybody dressed as anything can show up, and nobody's going to question it. Um, but a door opens in one of the upstairs rooms, and smoke kind of or fog rolls out, uh, and this huge caveman <laughs> comes out <laughs> and comes down through the party and uh you know is kind of pushing people aside and one of the people he pushes aside is a guy in a gorilla suit who is Kane Hodder for our horror friend fans out there mm. um came uh, Kane Hodder uh, one of the original Jason Voorhees in a very small cameo the movie was produced by Sean Cunningham who, pro- who who directed the original Friday the 13th and produced a bunch of them yeah 
Look at you. <laughs> Good research. One of, no, it was one of the first things I noticed is like his second credit that came up. It's awesome. I know I didn't look at that. But anyway, this caveman comes in and he steals the skull. Gramps, when the caveman is walking towards the skull, Gramps steps in front of him and says, You better pack your ass in a suitcase and head for Panama. <laughs> Just the funniest shit. Oh, these lines. I swear to God. These lines oh. are so goofy. So goofy. They are so goofy. Oh, my God. Oh, But anyway, the caveman takes, steals the skull and, and takes it back to where he is. And then Jesse and Charlie are like, oh, no, he stole the skull. And uh, Gramps is like, well, I have to have it. If I don't have it, I'll die. You have to go get it. And so... There's a whole lot of goofiness leading up, like they're they're meeting up, Jesse and Charlie meeting up outside the room, and Jesse's like, oh, well, I had this in the trunk. You never know when you're going to need one. And he pulls out an Uzi. <laughs> He's got a machine gun in the trunk of his car. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really not an 80s movie without an Uzi coming into play at some point. That was like our thing. I don't know why we were so fascinated with Uzis back then. I don't know either, and it, who knows what an Uzi is. I don't even know really what an Uzi is but, is, but we all talked about him when we were kids. Yeah, we yeah, like saying it a lot. <laughs> so they go, so they open up this room and they go in, and this is, you know, kind of in keeping with the first movie. It is. Like, you could go into these rooms and it would be kind of like alternate universes or whatever. Yeah, universe. It's the jungle room. So they go into this prehistoric jungle. <laughs> I thought it was a nice touch. I thought it was cool that as they're going to the jungle, there's like a lamp in there. <laughs> like like it was a you know, still like a little bit of the room left before they went yeah. out into, you know, way more. And I actually thought, you know, I was impressed that this for as I don't know, this had to be a fairly low budget movie. The special yeah. effects aren't too bad for the time. Like the stop motion kind of stuff they do is a bit in the Ray Harryhausen vein. But they don't really try to avoid them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they will go full on with the creature effects. You know, they're giving it their all, but they're not trying to shoot it in a way where they don't have to show a creature. Right. For better or for worse. <laughs> yeah. And, and do you it. know, if, if you, if you want to be critical, it's not Jurassic Park, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> they go in there and there are, you know, these stop motion dinosaurs and they look very B-movie. You yeah. know, they look very Clash of the Titans. Yeah, they're jerky. And I... Not only am I fine with it, I actually find it... It's charming. Charming. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, I agree. And endearing. Yeah. And and so they go in there and they fight the caveman and then, like, they, they get the skull no, back. I love, <laughs> I love how they just wander around through this jungle and the skull's just, like, sitting on a rock. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, it's, like, ten yards in. Like, it's... Oh, oh, let's find it. Let's look around. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Just, just sitting there did unattended. The, and why? It's why like, did the caveman even get... Did he just need a buddy? Like, what was he doing with it in the know. first place? I don't know. He must be a force of evil caveman. Yeah. I don't know. But when they get it, God, it's just so funny and cheesy, and I love it. Jesse grabs the skull, and he takes it in one hand and thrusts his arm up in the air and says, The skull is ours! And then a pterodactyl swoops in and steals it. <laughs> Drops it in his nest. 
on top of this huge tree. This gigantic, like, redwood tree. And what do they do? They go to the tree, and Jesse can scale this tree. <laughs> and it's like, oh gosh, it just looks so silly. Like I was, I was paying attention, and like it's just kind of this little silhouette cardboard cutout, like that they're just kind of scooting up the tree. <laughs> like only one of the legs actually moves. Like bad. one of the legs just kind of drags oh, along. It's their best effort, but we were used to this sort of thing back then too. This yeah. kind of happened. But it, it, at this point, that he gets up to the top of the tree and he reaches in for the skull, but instead a little pterodactyl baby jumps out. And he has this half-hearted, comedic back and forth with this pterodactyl baby who is, you know, chomping at him while he's trying to get the skull. And the music in the background is this old... At this point, you have to take stock of the movie you're looking at. And if you thought you were in the... If you were getting a horror film... <laughs> yeah. You, you, you find this yourself about half an hour into this movie, and there's a guy at the top of a tree fighting with a baby pterodactyl over a crystal skull. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, there's, like, something scary crawling around underneath the moss behind Charlie, like, stalking him. We don't know what it is, but the music makes it sound very scary. Mm. And then Jesse falls out of the tree, and, like, as he's falling, which takes, like, ten seconds, (laughs) he's like, catch me, Charlie, catch me, catch me. (laughs) And Charlie's just standing down there like, I got you, bro, I got you. (laughs) And... Jesse hits the ground and they fall through the floor of the jungle into the basement where Gramps is. And Gramps says, why didn't you use the stairs? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. so So funny. When Charlie kind of, you know, regains his senses, he realizes there's something on his leg and he freaks out and he's screaming. He's like, ah, it's eating my leg. It's eating my leg. And it ends up being, I don't know what the a word is. <laughs> a dogger pillar. A dogger pillar. That's the only way I can consider. It's like an oversized caterpillar with a dog's head. Oh my god, and it's so cute. And it's it's a puppet, like, it's just so evidently a puppet, like, mm-hmm. you know, foam rubber, but it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> and they keep it. <laughs> like, that's the other, the other cute thing, like, they keep this caterpupper or whatever I don't know what it is. Caterpuppy. And they and uh, they eventually end up keeping the baby pterodactyl too. And like then the, the pterodactyl goes running around and it's still got the skull and in his mouth. Oh my god. Yeah, and and Jesse's trying to get it and he's in the kitchen and at this point I'm just gonna call him Bill Maher because Bill Maher wants John but wants yeah. yeah John. He wants to catch Jesse in something and so like they're He's trying to get into the kitchen, and Charlie's trying to get him out, and um, but they they eventually get in there, and uh, it's kind of a funny scene when he's confronting Jesse. And he's like, "Well, do you have something to hide? I mean, I you know what's going on?" And he's like, "Oh, fine, I'll tell you." And he's like, "All right, now Charlie and I last night went to the cemetery and we dug up my great great grandfather's grave because we were looking for a, a crystal skull. It's supposed to be magic. Anyway, we dug it up." And we got the skull, but we also found my great-great-grandfather. He's dead, but, but he's alive. I mean, he's a mummy, and, and we brought him back, and he's been staying in the basement. And, and Charlie and I have just been running through this jungle trying to get the skull back. And that's who's in there for your information, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. 
But then he opens the closet and Rochelle is in there. Why? I don't know. She's just been waiting around. It's so dumb. Drunk waiting. And the other thing about it is it doesn't even make any sense because he's standing in front of this tall, like floor to ceiling style pantry door in the kitchen. But the last place he chased a pterodactyl into was this small cabinet above the sink. Mm -hmm. So why he's standing in front of this giant door and hiding it it doesn't even make any sense. Well, it also does... Okay, so I guess maybe they were in prehistoric times for a while, but when they left, there was a huge party going on. And when they come (laughs) back, there's nobody there. There's nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Oh, man. But that's okay, whatever. Yeah. So anyway, the... As it turns out, Kate and um, the singer, whatever her name is, and John, they all leave, and we never see them again. The end. Like, yeah. bye. She slaps <laughs> Nice them to see you. There you go. Yeah. Whatever. Bye. Um, and it turns out that Gramps was playing a joke. There was like a like a revolving wall in the closet. And so he was on one side and Rochelle was on the other. And eventually he says to Jesse, well, I I think I was in the mood to play a joke, but I'm sorry that you were the one I played it on. (laughs) (laughs) So silly, but sweet too. And they, they get the skull back and there's a a cute little moment where Gramps gives the caterpillar (laughs) beer in a baby bottle. (laughs) Adorable. But when Gramps is trying to put the uh, skull back, he gets attacked by Aztecs. I mean, just, you know, terrible, stereotypical representation of Zulu warriors or something. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. But he gets attacked, and then... So when uh, Jesse wakes up in the morning, he finds Gramps, you know, knocked out on the floor. And again, like, this is so dumb and inconsequential, but even the stuff that they were doing with the little caterpillar puppet mm-hmm. like when Gramps got knocked out and the little caterpillar puppet was like worried about him and like trying to wake him up like <laughs> it's I was like aww, aww. <laughs> dogs are the best <laughs> you're such a dog owner oh my god I know shut up um, <laughs> that leads up to the the next adventure it's episodic it's kind of you know I was even thinking like I don't know why but it was I was just getting shades of waxworks in here too right yeah I mean, yeah definitely these little episodic adventures into different lands and different worlds but this was my favorite part of the movie it's super fun oh my god and i actually give them a lot of credit for this bit when cliff from cheers comes in yeah (laughs) john was it john ratzenberger is that his name yeah Uh who who, you know you know i mean you know his voice this guy again just like um royal dano like he's he's a man all his own and there's nobody who will be like him comes in as an electrician it's just it just comes out of the blue like uh oh somebody called me said because because earlier way earlier on in the movie their lights weren't working in one of the rooms or something and he comes in he's no nonsense what is the Uh, fuse box down there in the basement uh listen bill um i'm sorry to trouble you but this really isn't the right time hey it's all right jess i'm not gonna get in your way you just uh, show me what needs fixing this is quite a room you got here yeah very very nice (laughs) it's a weird fireplace though yeah uh bill uh uh, bill what do we got in here Ah, there it is. It's just funny because it's this huge pause in the action where there's this urgency to get the skull and to rescue rescue the skull from these Aztecs. But Jesse has to deal with the electrician who wanders in first. He wanders out and he grabs a a sword along with... I mean, at this point I was wondering whatever happened to the Uzis. But uh, anyway... (laughs) 
<laughs> he and Charlie grab swords and decide they're going to go into the fireplace to chase this, to go into this Aztec. But now, correct me if I'm wrong, where, was the fireplace like sealed back up again? Was it a big pit? What was the deal? Why didn't did they decide they weren't able to go into the fireplace after these? I don't know. Wars? I never really under I never really understood. Like Charlie pokes his sword in there and they hear some kind of scary noise but then they don't in- I-, I feel like they just get interrupted by cliff i don't know what is yeah, john whatever the electrician big, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. electrician who's been back there like pulling the wires out of the wall and like revealing a hole or whatnot there it is looks like you got some kind of alternate universe in there or something <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, he plays it totally straight and totally nonchalantly that, I'm sorry, this is high comedy as far as I'm concerned. The rest of the movie's been low. This is high. (laughs) John Ratzenberger is hilarious in this movie. He He is so funny. And so this is their, like you said, now they're in, they dive into this, like, uh, medieval or, you know, Aztec, whatever, temple. It's like Indiana Jones or young Sherlock Holmes or whatever, and... They walk in, and sure enough, they come into the interior of this Aztec temple, and they look down and see that this uh, uh, priest is about to sacrifice a, a virgin. On, or at least Charlie says, do you think she's a virgin? Because I've never seen one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid lines. And, and, <laughs> but, but it's funny because the electrician just is like, he says, well, I'm, I'm prepared for this. And he pulls out his toolbox and he opens it up. And he's got a saber in there, too. Like, he's done this a million times as well. Oh, yeah. It's it's hilarious. I, I really like this part just because yeah, the it's really funny. It's so funny. And they go in there and they rescue the girl. That's basically it. And grab the skull at the same time. Yep. And it's, you know, they're swinging on ropes and they're sword fighting <laughs> like they sword fight every day. I know. It's one of those moments where suddenly <laughs> these guys can do anything. And they're so nonchalant about it, too. Like, Jesse's, like, like fighting a guy with a sword and another guy comes behind him and he swings a sword around and knocks him off. And then another guy approaches him from, from behind and without even turning around, he whacks him with his, his arm and he falls into the pit, too. And all the whole time... He's smiling and seems like only half interested in what's going on. It's uh, it's one of those. <laughs> and 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 the electrician is like, I'll I'll hold him off. You guys go ahead, get back. And he sends them back, and they're like, Oh, I don't see him behind us. Oh no! And they get out, and he's standing out there, like polishing up his tools. Like, <laughs> Oh, I was starting to get worried about you. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he leaves, he hands them his card, and it says, Bill Towner, electrician and adventurer. <laughs> Adorable. Yeah, it's cute. And, and and then we get the next scene right away. We cut to this... Wacky dinner scene. <laughs> it, wacky, but so cute. Like, it's this family dinner, and it's... It's Gramps and Charlie and Jesse and the Virgin who speaks no English and the pterodactyl and the caterpillar. <laughs> it's cute, but it's so dumb. <laughs> I thought it was adorable. And they're they're all sitting around and Charlie's like, Oh, somebody should say Grace and like Jesse looks at Gramps and Gramps nods like, Yeah, you should do it. And so then so Jesse like says Grace or gives this toast or whatever and he's like I consider you all my family. Like, I, and it, as cheesy yeah. as it sounds, I appreciate how everybody 
just ran with it. Like, the guy who is playing Jesse, he plays it sincerely, like, like you guys are my family now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pterodactyl. In the, in, and- <laughs> at the point, but in the meantime, there's, like, setting a place for the pterodactyl, and they're putting fruit in front of him and stuff. It's so dumb. <laughs> but it's cute. <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from. And especially... Oh, I think uh, it's cute. Yeah, it's funny. But but you do get the sense that at this point in the movie, I mean, we're, we're only, like, ten minutes away from the ending credits. Like, they felt yeah. like they had to wrap it up. It, I mean, it's certainly silly. There's no question about that. But it's it's fun, sweet, silly. I like it. Um, but so anyway, they have you know the the food on the table, and I guess the entree is covered by this big bell jar or whatever. And Jesse lifts it up, and then this scary cowboy rises up out through the platter through the table, and it's Slim, you know the mm-hmm. the nemesis of, of Gramps's nemesis, and. Gramps is like, I knew you'd come. I've been waiting for you. And uh, Charlie tries to grab a knife, and Gramps is like, No, this he's mine. <laughs> but then Slim shoots Gramps, and Gramps goes down, and Slim takes the virgin girl, who, by the way, is this gorgeous Playboy centerfold. Yeah, <laughs> like the, who has no lines because she doesn't speak any English. She's just there to be. Pretty girl number one. And uh, and Charlie goes and, and chases after them like he's going to rescue the girl. And we're left with Jesse and, and Gramps. And, and Gramps is like, uh, you have to get him. Here, take my gun. You'll need this. He's the one that killed your ma and pa. And so Jesse goes off on his mission. And he goes off to this room that we've seen before, which is like kind of this Wild West-themed room with like you know, all these uh, taxidermied animals and things in it. And um, when he opens the curtains to the window, he sees that the window opens up into the Wild West. And he goes out there, and Charlie and the Virgin are strung up on the gallows and, and gagged. And Slim comes in on his stop-motion corpse horse. <laughs> I like that. Again, this is where I feel like... Man, it looks so. It looks kind of bad, but they, yeah, it does. They tried, you know, and I really appreciate that. That they 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 didn't pull any punches here. They were giving it their yeah, own. yeah. It is what it is, and I mm-hmm. do appreciate that they went for it. It doesn't look great. It's not, you know, it's not the greatest effects you've ever seen. It's not but terrible though. No, it's not. I I like it. They kind of have a shoot off, and uh, Jesse gets shot in the arm, and um, he ends up back in the house. And then Slim is just kind of randomly stalking him around the house for a little bit, which was actually I thought kind of stupid. Yeah, it was really dumb. <laughs> it went on. It went on for too long. Yeah, it's just one of those sequences where you just lose the energy of the pursuit, and it loses yeah. all logic. And suddenly, you just get one scene after another scene of a character just quietly creeping through a room waiting for something terrible to happen to him. Right. And and Slim has like the gremlin voice and like he Jesse like, <laughs> like, like, he just keeps saying his name. It's silly. Anyway, eventually the cops show up because they've heard gunshots and I guess wherever they live, the way that the cops work is if they hear gunshots, they just surround the house with a SWAT team and are like, We're gonna shoot you. <laughs> We're gonna shoot you if you don't come out. Yeah, it's great cops. Eventually Slim and Jesse end up facing off again and Jesse uh shoots 
literally his head off, shoots Slim's head off, and the, and he gets the skull back. He goes back to Gramps, who's laying in a bed, and he's got the skull, and Gramps, again, is super cute. Did you blow his head off? That's a good boy. I thought for <laughs> sure he'd kick your ass, but I didn't let on, though. Like, I can't, I can't tell you how much this guy reminds me of my mom's dad, who Aww. passed away a long time ago, but he was just so country, and and then they just have this very sweet farewell where Jesse's like, well, I've got the skull, now you're okay. And he's like, no, you know, I've lived, I've done everything I wanted to do in this life. And he says, you keep the skull and get from it what you want and then get rid of the goddamn thing. He says, I love you, and they embrace. And Gramp says, I love you too, Jesse. And again, Royal Dano, you know, in this heavy makeup, his eyes are just so expressive. Mm. Like, it just... Oh my god, and he's teary-eyed, and it, it, it's not even really a sad moment, it's just so sweet, and uh, he dies, and then the cops say they're going to count to ten till they open fire, and then it turns out that Slim, even though he has no head, is still alive, and he stands up, and he shoots at Jesse, but Jesse ducks, and so the cops think that somebody's shooting at them, so they open fire. I guess the cops' fire uh, takes out Slim. And Jesse grabs Gramps' corpse, and he grabs the caterpillar and the pterodactyl, and he goes walking through this door that's just, you know, it looks like the bright lights of heaven or whatever. Yeah. And he walks through, and then it's the last scene, and uh, Jesse places the skull on a burial mound uh, of stones, um, presumably Gramps, and we see Charlie and the Virgin waiting for Jesse uh, on an Old West stagecoach, or not really a stagecoach, but a wagon, uh, and they ride off into the sunset together, like... Along with the dogger pillar and the pterodactyl. <laughs> yeah. And they're apparently just gonna live happily ever after in the Old West, and... It's lovely. <laughs> it is. I have to say, so the first house I really enjoyed, and it was a little silly, but it had its, it was scary, it was R-rated, and it had, you know, yeah. it was not nearly as silly and as funny as this one was. This one is definitely different uh, from the other one in a major way, I think. Like you said, they're tangentially related. At the end of the day, they're two very different movies. But there is a certain charm to this film, and we've been talking about it throughout. And for its time, it was one among... I mean, it was kind of like... Like I said, it just felt like Monster Squad all over again. You know, kind Mm -hmm. of a low-rent Goonies slash adventure story of crazy things happening to everyday people in fantastical ways that you can watch with your family. Nowadays, man, I don't know. Maybe no, I don't think it would play over very doesn't well. Really, doesn't really work, and the jokes don't really work. It's just not sophisticated enough. It is kind of disappointing. I mean, honestly, like I really enjoy. I enjoyed watching it again. I enjoyed revisiting it. I kind of want to watch it again with my wife because it's totally safe for her, and she might get a kid. Yeah, yeah. But honestly, I don't think I'll watch it again. And it's kind of sad that I remembered it being just a little edgier. Than it than it really was, yeah. man. I I must have been really young to think this movie was edgy. <laughs> I I I I remember it so fondly too. And in watching it again, from a critical perspective, I was able to say, oh, okay, you know, like mm. this this really isn't a good movie. But 
I will watch it again. In fact, this is one of those movies that I would just put on anytime. If I'm cleaning the house, if I want to take a nap, yeah. like this would just be something great for me. And and I'm sure that it has to do with my nostalgia for it, but if I woke up for a few minutes from my nap to see that little caterpillar or <laughs> or something, you know, it's just cute. Like and I and I and I don't have kids um but you do and i would think that this you yeah. know when kenji gets to be of a certain age he would love this movie he, he would yeah yeah he really would but then past a certain age he would not like it at all right right probably not yeah <laughs> but, but you know, it just leaves you with questions like what the hell does a skull do anyway like <laughs> right. you know what i mean like everybody wants it and whatnot but there's nothing clear in the movie why it's really that important it all it does is sit on a shelf and glow Everybody wants it, and it's so important, and we have to protect it from the forces of evil. But at the end, just, you know, leave it in a pile in the desert. (laughs) Exactly. It's out of my hands. (laughs) I will say, though, this movie is better than it gets credit for. Like, it it has, like, a lousy – I think it was at 0% at one point on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it has a 10% now. You could find hardly anything about it online, and I can't figure that out. I can't figure out why, because we've seen so many movies that are so much worse than this. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it, it premiered alongside The Color Purple and some other big blockbuster movie, and so – Upon its release, it got lost in the shuffle, which I, you know, fine, whatever. I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that it played in theaters at all. Mm. But it does have a straight to video feel to it. What I do know is they rushed it into production. Apparently, again, with the success of the first movie that I was unaware of, um, they wanted to get a sequel right away, so they rushed it into production. And the screenwriter only had two weeks to write the script, <laughs> which maybe explains some things. <laughs> Uh, it shows, <laughs> and and it, and it it premiered a year after the release of the first one. So the, you know they they really rushed into it, but whatever. You know, can I even really say it's a good movie? No, but I really enjoy it. I think it's fun. I, it makes me wish I had kids, <laughs> so that I could sit down with my eight year old. You know, if this is the first scary movie we're going to watch, okay, you may see some things that are going to be a little bit scary, but it's just pretend. And, you know, like, it's, you know, it's it's that safe. Uh, and, and ultimately, you know, nobody dies. Well, except for Gramps, but he's old and whatever. Anyway, I... <laughs> I, I still uh, appreciate it. I know it's not a great movie. And uh, if you're listening to this and you have any thoughts about this movie at all, please uh, share them. I hope that there are those of you out there who can appreciate it for what it was or those of you who are about our age who maybe have fond memories of it. But um, I'm not going to recommend it as some sort of gem or anything. It's just it's it's cute and sweet and I'm a sap and I like that sweet stuff and it's it's kind of a time capsule it's 1987 is written all over it you know and for that if you if you're like us and you're nostalgic for that i think you'll 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 enjoy it to an extent <laughs> to an extent <laughs> put that caveat on there uh, okay fair enough 
All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, we have lots and lots and lots of back episodes. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. And we'll be back with you uh, for the next couple weeks doing uh, some more sequels. And we'll get into some grittier stuff than House 2. <laughs> anyway, until next time, I'm Craig. And I'm Tom. With two guys in a chainsaw. Thank you.